0: Today, Bella and I are sitting down with Caitlin Mitzi, who is a holistic nutritionist based just outside of Toronto. I'm gonna let Bella do the full intro for Caitlin, uh, but we're so excited to have you here. (laughs) Thank you.
1: I am super excited to have you on the podcast. Not only is Caitlin an amazing, incredible human being that is an amazing resource for food, wellness, hormones, everything, she's also my beautiful aunt. So I'm very excited. Um, the One of the big reasons that I really wanted to have her on the podcast is, I don't know if for our regular listeners, remember our episode with Brenda Marie Davies, we spoke, we touched really briefly on plant medicine as being, for some bizarre reason, controversial. Like, you know, if you can cure a headache with white willow bark, that's seen as, you know witchcraft or even like satanic by some people but if you can take like a white pill for it that's great apparently so we're of course here about subverting norms and looking at natural ways to live our lives and to live them in conjunction with plants so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to talk all about like hormones and sexual wellness and anything you want to share with us
2: Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here. Um, first of all, to get a break away from the cold winter of Canada.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's the weather like?
2: Um, I think it's finally breaking. It's mm-hmm. like a bit more mild this week as we head into spring. Yes, Today happy is spring, spring equinox, yes. everybody. Mm. Um, but it's been a really brutal winter, so I'm always happy to be here back in LA and be here with you guys. And thank you for the beautiful introduction. Um, so like the girls have said... Uh, I am from Toronto, just outside of Toronto, and I'm a clinical nutritionist who practices holistically at a clinic called the Poppy Clinic. The
1: cutest name ever. So cute. <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: Um, it's a very cute space and uh, we really um, have developed a system of practitioners from all different walks of life and we really do focus on um, female, biologically female uh, bodied health.
1: Oh yeah, let's, should we do, let's have a little yeah. preface about mm. language in this episode. Yes, I think that's a good idea. So we were talking at length this morning, and we've talked a little bit about it over the course of the week, but this is kind of a challenging conversation to have in terms of language, because we don't want to alienate anybody. At the same time, we are talking about pretty specific biological um, anatomy and the effects of different things on it.
2: Yeah. Not just anatomy, but also like the alchemy of our bodies. So it is hormonal. Um, it is, it is, um, fairly specific to, um, the biological mechanisms of a, of a body. So without, um, making anyone feel uncomfortable or left out, uh, we ask for your tenderness on this topic, so that we can be as inclusive as possible, and um, and so that everybody out there feels like they can resonate with what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so I guess, like, just so I'm clear as well would a, would we be saying that if, say, a person is transgendered, that they're biological, initial hormone system is what they should be most listening to for this conversation? Unless they're um, currently on hormones.
2: Yes. So then that's different. Then you would be thinking about the hormones that you're taking and Mm -hmm. what that would look like in its perfect harmony for you. Mm. Um, If that's what you're – if you're trying to achieve a specific hormonal Mm. goal, then you would do – things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, if you're honoring whatever hormone system that you were birthed with, then you then that's what I would advise you to sort of okay. stick to mm-hmm. as far as balancing is concerned.
0: Great. Yeah, at, here with the Sex Magic podcast, we really want to be sensitive about these topics. Um, and this language is really new, and we are still navigating um, you know gender and sexuality, and we're learning with you. So uh, just, you know, be sensitive and know that we're trying our best. I think I'll probably <laughs> just
2: refer to, um, like, female and male bodies f- as far as the biological beginnings are concerned. Awesome. That sounds good. Okay, great. I'm glad and we got that. And, of course, like, feel <laughs> free
1: to, like, DM us or mm-hmm. send us an email if you have advice because we're learning, too, and no one's perfect, and we're, we're trying to do our best here.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious, and this may be um, – kind of starting in a different direction, but do you have a spiritual connection with food?
2: Yeah, I would say I definitely do. I always have. Um, I'm not sure that I could label that necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I think that energetically food is so much of, of who we are and how we operate and what we feel like day to day. And so that energy is, um, very spiritual to me, I think the the handoff between where our food comes from, the earth that it was grown in, the sunlight that it was grown with um, all of its nutrients, the very complicated life system that was required for that food to become um, a physical item for us to put into our body to nourish with. There's just such like a long chain of events and and handoffs of energy and nutrients and all sorts of beautiful things that, for someone to be able to just think about food and not have any sense of of magic mm-hmm. involved along mm-hmm. with that is just so s- strange to me that that mm-hmm. could even exist. And it does. Most people probably don't think of food that way. But I think with education and understanding really where our food comes from, that it becomes really immediate for people to realize that there is so much spirituality connected to to their food and a great deal of magic as well.
1: Mm. I love that. I never thought, I don't know how, why it's never occurred to me, the idea of like the delicate variables involved mm. in just like growing a mm. carrot. And like I've grown like fruits and vegetables before and there are so many things that can go wrong and go awry. So even just like having a slice of tomato on a plate with some salt and pepper, it's like, wow, like all of these different elements had mm-hmm. to culminate to create this. It's actually kind of a miracle. Yeah. It is. Like yeah. I remember maybe like a few years
0: ago, I kind of had that realization with honey and I was like, wow, this, uh, that I'm, you know, this little spoonful that I'm putting in my tea resonates with the vibration of bees and they're created, you know, just from this like divine love of worshiping the, the queen bee. And this is like such a yummy delicious thing that I get to enjoy. And I don't know why I get to enjoy it, but like, I'm grateful for that. And I don't know, I, I love food. So I'm really excited to talk to you more. <laughs> yeah. I feel like
1: plants are so like vibrational mm-hmm. and I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on, because for me, like, I feel like if I buy food from like the farmer's market, it just like tastes better and I feel more like energized Absolutely.
2: By it. Well, it's less time, um, off the vine and into your hands, right? Mm-hmm. So there's still so much life energy present
1: there. Do they die? Like, they do. Does it? Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the longer it's off the vine, you, you lose mm-hmm. not only the, the nutritional properties of that fruit or vegetable, but the energetic properties as well. Mm-hmm. Some hold on to them longer than others. Um, there are, I mean, that's for another episode that <laughs> is like a whole conversation about, about that, um, specifically, but, um, yeah. When you, can, when you can get food from the source and consume it into your body, you're, you're doing yourself such a, a much bigger favor than, mm. you know, grabbing an apple from the grocery store, which is still an amazing thing to be able to do. And obviously it's still really important to um, have the ability to buy fruits and vegetables mm. from a regular grocery store. Like that's still important and such a privilege. Um, But if you have the ability to shop at a farmer's market or grow your own food, then you are even more connected to source there. Mm. And I just Mm -hmm. think that's such a beautiful thing to experience.
1: I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And uh, you just moved house, right? Yes, yes, just a couple but of things. But in your ago. the the previous house you're living in. Um I, I really loved like seeing on Instagram you're like, Oh, we harvested like all of these like little fruits or these mm-hmm. flowers. <laughs> and I think like, Oh, I wish I could like forage for my food. Like that seems to me like it would be so like energetic and mm. amazing.
2: Foraging is such an a rewarding experience. Um we de- we definitely had um, the most beautiful land to do that. We had a hundred acres that we were on. Wow. And, um, it was so magical. That's like the, the dream. Way. Yeah. There's lots of like drawbacks to that kind of living as well. It was not yeah, all your snow like
1: pictures. I was like, no, get out of here.
2: And the wildlife isn't always friendly. And like, oh. you know, there's always, there's always the things that like are not the idyllic photos that we <laughs> post on Instagram, but, um, it did give River and I, my son, um, the chance to really, uh, appreciate wild foods. Mm. So we would always harvest like buckets of berries and um, sumac was in abundance. So we always would go Mm. out and actually River did most of the sumac harvesting himself. He was only six at the time and he had his own shears and he cut down all the sumac and he would fill his baskets and we'd have to like walk kilometers on our land to like get the sumac back to the house to process. And then we would dehydrate it and, and pick all of the berries off and then make dried sumac spice or a sumac lemonade. And, um, Ooh. yeah, it was, it was so important for him. And mm. I think like such a, a good experience for children to have and adults to have, mm. but, um, for a child at that age to really like be part of that kind of life mm. and really mm. understand like how much work is involved to... To get a little jar of spice at Mm. the end of the day, when you've had to, you've literally had to harvest like four sumac trees to fill this tiny jar, and then you go to the grocery store and you see all the jars of spices, and his mind is able to comprehend like how many people and hours and energy and sweat Mm. and blood and tears probably went into the manufacturing of that spice aisle at your grocery store. So, um, giving giving yourself or your family the opportunity to experience something like that is so important. Mm. I think it's valuable far beyond the, the, you know, like the basic harvesting of food. There's so many more lessons to learn in that.
0: And it's so beautiful that you were able to share that with your son as well. So you have like food as like a thread of connection with him as well,
2: along with, you know, the normal mom connection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think, I think food is, has always been a huge connector for humans. I think it, it you know, not only socially, but in love relationships and intimate relationships and and family and even bridging the gap between our quote unquote, you know, enemies at times. Like mm-hmm. we were able to share a table or share a meal in situations and in times of, of violence and stress and it brought people together mm-hmm. and, and softened mm-hmm. the... Uh, you know the the bitterness that can sometimes exist in humanity. So mm. food is so powerful. It has the ability to really
1: change everything. Mm. So food is like medicine, food is magic. I'm like what else? Like the food is so many different things. It like, is. Yeah, it totally is. I'm curious like I love that you touched on how even being able to go to your supermarket and pick up an apple while that and buy it, while that's not the most perhaps ideal energetic or nutritional source of apples, it's still a beautiful privilege because I think that's something that we all forget. Like I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. at Whole Foods getting my organic cilantro Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, all bougie as hell. But, um, I'm wondering if you have any tips or advice not necessarily like that they have to go pick out dandelion greens from the sidewalk, but like, is there anything for more like people that live in more urban areas or people that are in a low socioeconomic economic bracket and kind of afford to go to a farmer's market that could help connect them energetically or nutritionally more deeply to their food?
2: There are. And I think there are a lot of organizations that are really trying to, um, help, uh, you know, like lower income brackets and, um, sort of those like food deserts that we have across North America, mm-hmm. where even a regular grocery store is not um, available, like your your grocery shopping experience, maybe the 7-Eleven or the gas mm-hmm. station, and truly that's as good as it mm-hmm. gets. Um, there are some pretty incredible websites available, and I wouldn't be able to give you the names Right now, but I'm sure we can put them in the, oh, yeah, show, we'll notes. In the show notes. Definitely. Um, so they map out uh, wild um, food options in in uh, urban settings. So, hmm. f- for example, in Los Angeles, I mean the climate here is amazing. So there's going to be lots hmm. of of wild food. And people, if they have like a fruit tree on their property, or if it's on public property, the city or the um, person who owns the property can upload that information to the database and it becomes available to the public so that people can go, I know that there is a orange tree at such and such an intersection and I can gather fruit there free of charge, bring it home and feed my family for no cost at all. And this is something that's growing and growing all over the world. In Europe, it's huge. In Canada, it's pretty huge. Um, obviously some cities are more equipped than others and have better databases, but you can always plug into those those organizations and find out where the closest fruit tree to you is, where the closest vegetable patch is. Um, and then also just get to know your your outside space in your community yourself. Mm-hmm there are often so many like berry bushes along trails. And as long as you feel confident that they haven't been sprayed with any kind of pesticides, um, then you can eat what you like because it's nature and that's what it's <laughs> there for. So as long as it's not like hopping over someone's fence into private property or eating something that you w- are not sure of, uh, again, like how it's been treated, just do some research of your, of your own and, and find out where is safe. And usually there are lots of different places within cities that you can gain access to free food.
0: Have you heard of, um, Ron Finley? I have. The gangster gardener? (laughs) Oh no, no. I was thinking of someone else. I don't know the gangster gardener. Um, so he's a Los Angeles based gardener and he started the Ron Finley project. And, um, I believe he's based in Compton and he started a really small community garden there and it just completely like radicalized the, his community and, Um, he does a lot of work with like providing urban spaces with food and that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Really fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. he's I love Talk, (laughs) And I think like so many people can do the same thing in their own communities. And Mm -hmm. if that speaks to you, then do it because it's so beautiful and necessary and helpful to so many others. And it doesn't really require all that much effort. So it's uh, a really lovely gift to give if you Mm -hmm. are in the position to do
1: so. Oh, beautiful. Okay, switching tracks a little bit. I'm really curious, like, how does food affect our like sex drive? Like, because I know like if I eat like a big burger or like a bunch of pasta, I'm like, Bleh.
2: Yeah. Um, well, so this is the rabbit hole. <laughs>
1: so Take us down. Yeah, let, let
2: us go. So if we are dealing with um, a patient or client who has a known hormone, condition, like hormone disrupting condition. So, for example, PCOS or um, like diagnosed infertility, maybe it's diabetes, insulin resistance, obesity. You know, there are a number of, of clinical diagnostics that can be made that indicate um, a hormone dysregulation in the body. And we can look at that very clinically, and we can say, okay, so progesterone is low, testosterone is low or high, estrogen is dominant, and we can correct that by, um, you know, equalizing um, blood sugar levels, reducing insulin resistance, and there's uh, a lot of a lot of different techniques and approaches that different practitioners have um, to do that, and uh, that is probably like a really good starting point for someone who's who knows. I. Have this condition and how do we treat it? Mm. But for a lot of people, their hormone imbalances may not have manifested into a disease state yet. Mm. And that's where, like, the general population would probably lie. Mm. Um, and that can res- be the result of so many different things as well. You know, stress in our society is rampant. Um, even the you know the best of us who have meditative practices and eat really well we mm-hmm. still are plugged into social media all the time we're not moving as much as we need to our relationships are stressful our work life is stressful traffic always with traffic. the traffic is the worst mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i think traffic stresses me out more than anything right? else on my plate um and our sex hormones are are made by the adrenals and our adrenals are one of the first organ systems that are really, really affected by stress. Mm -hmm. So it could be something as compartmentalized as that in your life. Um, And it could also be that, you know, you're not really favoring your body through diet or Mm -hmm. movement. And so you're, again, like, maybe developing some insulin resistance there. Maybe you're having way too many carbohydrates, way too much refined sugar or processed food. Mm. And those things um, often confuse our hormone sign- signaling in our body. Um, so like leptin, the n- sort of known hunger hormone, um, the, that you can develop leptin resistance through um, poor diet choices. And hmm. then you are on your way to insulin resistance because the – Glucose in your blood is staying circulating, as opposed to being grabbed and stored in your cells for energy. Oh no, that's no good. No, (laughs) it's like always jonesing. You're just jonesing mm, for the next hit because you're not you're not actually getting your energy from your cells. Then you're just relying always on what you're putting in your mouth. Mm. So easily, actually, it's so that's the beautiful thing about this, and that's why I love food for medicine so much. Is that really like it's so simple to bring back. And it's, it's, it's not maybe the most easy thing to do when you're coming from say a standard American diet where Mm -hmm. you're hitting a drive through a couple of times a day and you're having a few coffees a day and you're drinking soda and these things seem okay because you've been brought up in a society where that is sort of force fed to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you can overcome the sort of addictive side of those ways of eating, simply reducing like overload Uh, over um, general carbohydrate uh, consumption, Mm. taking out any processed sugars, really getting smart about the fats that you're putting in your body. Mm. You know, tweaking things here and there really does a 360 on that whole system. And Mm. once you have your... Nutrition dialed in. Once you're moving your body in some natural, beautiful, juicy ways, once your um, your your blood sugar levels can remain sort of consistent through the day, your adrenals have calmed down. You have the ability to produce all of your lovely sex hormones just the way that they're meant to be flowing, mm-hmm. and that equates to a really beautiful libido, a happy mind, a mm-hmm. like comfortable tummy a life that's full of so much more energy and vibrancy. And really like, it's just such an improvement on your whole existence. Mm -hmm. The sex piece is like, just sort of like the cherry on the top of the cake.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Like how many different things, like hearing you list them out like that, it's amazing how many different things that like a poor diet can influence. And any number of those factors would make me not want to have sex, like mm-hmm. have digestional upset or like emotional distress, fatigue, mm-hmm. like all of those things are going to fuck up your sex drive. So I'm curious, um, I
0: feel like I've gotten a little bit more conscious of my body and like how my body is feeling in the past few years, specifically with like hormones. And how would someone be able to
2: realize if they have symptoms of like a hormone imbalance? So the, laun- the list of, of that is sort of like a laundry list long, <laughs> um, but probably the most common would be fi- general fatigue, mm-hmm. um, depression, depression. Uh, abdominal fat gain um, Mm -hmm. or uh, bloating, Mm -hmm. digestive upset, constipation, um, hair growth maybe where we Mm -hmm. wouldn't expect it or hair loss where we wouldn't expect it, Mm -hmm. um, water retention, inflammation, general irritability. um, Basic discomfort in all systems uh, indicate some imbalance Mm -hmm. because everything that our body does is this... Perfectly choreographed dance with our hormones. So, generally speaking, any sort of upset in the body can often be related to a hormone dysregulation of some kind. Not all, but f-
1: mm. most. Mm-hmm it's um, usually like the core the, issue, right? Because yes. that affects every your hormonism. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kind of like affects everything. It does absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And acne would be another um, oh, telltale sign. Stuff, yeah. Yep. So about menstrual, menstrual. Oh, of issues? course Can we talk about that. Yeah. Menstrual dysregulation. So mm-hmm. missed periods, extra, extra periods, um, spotting in between mm-hmm. periods, really uncomfortable premenstrual um, symptoms. So mm-hmm. severe breast tenderness, cr- cramping. Um, like achy back and legs like a a lot of people think that that is actually normal
1: Mm -hmm. and it is not oh I say this to my clients all the time like common and normal are not the same thing and PMS I think is the biggest thing that women get taught is It, it it's so upsetting to me before I got like diagnosed with PCOS all those years ago before I cured it even though they say you can't do that um you can can. um I remember going to the OBGYN and I was like I'm so tired I'm falling asleep at like 3 p.m. I'm puking all day I can't eat anything this happens when I'm ovulating and before my period and they were like that's PMS that's normal and I was like it doesn't feel normal and I can't function at my job like there's nothing normal about this and they're like go on the pill You know, what's so
0: interesting to me is like you were listing all of those symptoms, you know, with like, um, you know, fatigue or depression or bloating. And I just was thinking about all of these pills that have been maybe prescribed to me or to my friends who have had these symptoms and how simple it is that we might have been able to solve these issues with food. And that isn't the first step the first step usually is, oh, here's a prescription for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then it just is masking these
2: symptoms, right? Absolutely. And then
0: you're not really getting to the root cause of the problem.
2: No, and unfortunately, it takes most women um, into their, you know, like mid to late 30s generally, I would say, sometimes never at all that they actually realize that the way that they've been masking these issues their whole life, A, is not necessary. And B, is only setting them up for the second half of their life to be really difficult, especially coming into um, pre-menopause mm-hmm. and menopause, a lifetime on the pill, and um, or a lifetime of taking fistfuls of Advil to overcome... Uh, uncomfortable premenstrual or postmenstrual or premenstrual symptoms, um, seriously sets up our body for, um, mm-hmm. a very uneasy, uh, menopause state. Mm.
1: Speaking, I literally have so many questions. Like I can't contain myself. <laughs> um, speaking of taking Advil, it's like a really big concern to me how many biologically female people take Advil and different painkillers during their period, does like, it seems to me like that has a really negative effect on like the liver and kidneys, which would, wouldn't like, do I misunderstand this somehow? But like, wouldn't that affect your period overall? Cause I give my body a lot of liver support before my period yes. begins. Yes,
2: <laughs> definitely. Um, there is congestion happening there in the liver, uh, as well. Um, anti-inflammatory drugs like Advil uh, disrupt digest- digestion. Mm-hmm. So it can reduce stomach acid, which then doesn't mm-hmm. properly break down your food. And then you're not properly assimilating nutrients or absorbing nutrients. Um, and then you fall into a deficient state. So yes, things like Advil serve a purpose and there's definitely time to take these these things. They're here to help us. I'm not. Um, I'm not a disbeliever in certain pharmaceutical drugs. They all serve a purpose at the right time. Mm -hmm. But I think for us to just sort of fall back into, "Mm, I kind of have cramps today. I'm going to pop a couple Advils. And then "Mm, Mm -hmm. I have a headache the next day. So I'm going to pop a couple Advils when A, we've not been taught to actually accept maybe some pain in our body, that that is okay. And that. It's really a beautiful thing to actually sometimes sit with that pain and work our way through it from like a head and heart space, breathing into that pain and Mm -hmm. understanding how quickly it can dissipate if we actually just become really aware of it and allow for it to exist in our body. I've developed um, my favorite way of dealing with my cramps. I don't have really, really bad cramps unless I am... Not nourishing my body properly. Mm. But I now um, refuse to take stuff for my cramps and I meditate through it for about 25 minutes on the first day of my menses. And um, they completely go away after my meditation and they don't come back for the rest of my cycle. And I can literally sit there. And this sounds so woo woo. So for anyone who's like out there that doesn't go for this, just give it a try because it's actually a thing. Um, I just literally put myself into the region where I'm feeling pain. I breathe into that region and I can almost visualize like all of the, the smooth muscle like loosening. I can visualize my, like a flow state. I can visualize any like fluids that are, that are trapped or in an inflammatory space just like relaxing and decreasing. And by the time my meditation is over, I do not I do not have symptoms. And I think that it's really important for people to um, have that ability to, instead of quickly taking the Advil to push it all away and carry on with your busy, busy, busy day, that you just, okay, I have cramps. I wanna sit with this pain, understand it, because it's there for a reason. And when you actually acknowledge that pain in your body, sometimes your body goes, okay, you know, I'm there, you know, you're aware of why I'm bringing attention to that space. And I don't really need to exist anymore because mm-hmm. we've had that communication. And that is what pain is there to do. It's to communicate something in your body. So just listen instead of shutting it up.
0: Wow. I love that so much. Like that really resonates with me for sure.
1: Yeah. People are so like reluctant to experience pain, but it is like your body's messenger of a variety Absolutely. of different things. Like if you put your hand on the stove, it's going to fucking hurt. You want that, that right? to go away? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. In the wise woman tradition of healing, which is um, the kind of study that I did my herbalist school with, um, they talk a lot about how pain and illness are part of the human experience and that, you know, there is a time for both of those mm-hmm. things and that you know, it's, it's the attuning to the cycles of life and to the earth and there's the spring and then there's the fall and the winter. And we have to, I feel like lean into the pain, like you said. And I love that meditation. That's great advice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think like you said, leaning into the pain is something we don't tend to do enough of. Um, when it is, when it is a pain that we should lean into, I think Mm -hmm. there's like we, as humans experience pain sort of Everywhere in our life, especially as of late, I think that existence in in on a whole is Mm. uncomfortable for a lot of people. And so, the idea of getting comfortable with something that doesn't feel good is terrifying because we are all kind of feeling uncomfortable more often than not. Mm. And so, why would we want to bring that in upon ourselves? Mm. But I think there's this a beautiful sort of release of pain when you can. Actually, focus on on some of it and and mm. really own it, and then you realize that other things are also easier to cope with as well.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. I love the idea as well of treating your body more inquisitively mm-hmm. instead of saying, "Oh, I have cramps. I'm going to take an Advil. I have a headache. I'm going to take an Advil. Have I drunk enough water? You know, have Absolutely. I supported my like, liver this cycle? You know, I I am a very lucky person." Actually, no, I'm not lucky. I've worked really hard to support my hormone system enough that I have beautiful, really easy periods now. Um, and if I ever have a challenging one, I know exactly why. It's like I drunk mm-hmm. alcohol that cycle or had some junk food or something. Definitely. Mm-hmm. The,
2: so, yeah. the, um, the result of having had a month where you didn't really care for yourself is so, so obvious when it comes to a, a female body cycle. Yeah it is like directly linked. If I have, you know, I am somebody who doesn't thrive off of very many carbohydrates in my diet. So, um, mine's quite minimal, but say I decide to like live, live it up a little bit that month <laughs> and have some bread or some rice. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't serve my body. I fall really out of balance really quickly. Or if I've had sugar, like you said, alcohol, um, my, my, breasts become like extremely sore. I have way more tenderness in my Mm -hmm. abdominal. Um, I I get moodier and more irritable. And like you said, like that sort of inquisition that you can have with your body and those symptoms like teaches us something. And it's so important to engage in that information. Mm -hmm. It's like a direct feedback loop that we so often ignore.
0: I love that you're advocating for like intimacy with your Mm -hmm. health.
1: I love that. I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. We should – this episode should be called Intimacy with Your Health. I love thinking of the titles during the episode. I'm like, that would be a good one. (laughs) Yeah, how to develop an intimate relationship with your health. I'm curious. um, So to my understanding, like the female hormone system cycles around a monthly – it varies woman to woman or person to person. And that the male hormone cycle is closer to a 24-hour cycle – I'm wondering if there's anything that, like, so if, in saying that women, like we're talking about, have this kind of check-in with our bodies where we have our period and how is that going? Do, is there anything for men? Like, is there any way they can kind of like register that differently?
2: Yeah. there. It's the same feedback loop. Um, as far as their cycle is concerned, and I did air quotes there for anybody who could didn't sense quotes. that in my tone. Um <laughs> I am, and I can't, like, I will own this. I don't know what their cycle is as far as timing is concerned. I do know that there's lots that can change that cycle. For example, how often they are ejaculating mm-hmm. does definitely, um, uh, alter their testosterone levels. Um, same with whether they're physically active or not. Diet obviously plays into that as well. And, The same sort of things can, um, their, their, their feedback loop may not be as obvious because they're not, um, you know, they're not having a bleed once a month. They're not, um, maybe having the physical symptoms that go along with that because their body parts are different, but they would still experience maybe acne or Mm -hmm. hair loss or hair growth or, um, weight gain or weight loss, depending on how these hormones are behaving in their body. Um, so does that sort of yeah. answer that yeah, that does. Mm-hmm. so they
1: their symptoms are kind of the same. they just don't have anything that's a significant uh timing marker that's like women right do that's exactly right. okay, so I'm so curious a little can you elaborate on this ejaculation thing, and <laughs> in general, like is there stuff men can do about their hormones? I feel like we're very female centric on the pod, so I want to make sure that we're given a little space for the penis owners, yeah. even if they don't identify as male. Yeah. So there's been
2: many, many studies done um, where they look at a group of men uh, who do and then don't ejaculate for seven days. Seven days is the magic number, folks. Um, and they're, the, the males that ejaculated on the seventh day, but not during that week, their testosterone um, increased I think 145% from baseline. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And for men- Pro tip. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And for men, increased testosterone is beneficial for so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, Muscle growth, mood, brain health, libido. Libido. (laughs) Um, Now, that's not to say that maybe not coming every week, all week long until the seventh day is a- going to work for your schedule, (laughs) be necessarily healthy for other reasons. Um, There Mm -hmm. is also studies to show that frequent ejaculation lowers um, uh, risk of cancer, prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, play, Mm -hmm. play with these things. See how they feel. You know, don't masturbate. Don't engage in any intimate activities that will result in coming. Um, That's not to say that you can't play and be Mm -hmm. aroused, but maybe you don't need to come. And then, like revel in this huge fluctuation of testosterone and mm-hmm. see what that feels like in your body. Maybe that feels amazing and you want to do that more often as like something that you do for yourself. Maybe it doesn't really work for you and then you can continue doing life as you have before. But I think it's really important that we all kind of play and understand and learn what is right for our bodies and um, and then honor that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, men have lots of ways and tools that they can change things up for themselves. So I think it's really interesting. In BDSM,
0: not masturbating is called edging. Mm-hmm. And it's the buildup, obviously, of that sexual energy. And then in sex magic, um, there's this theory of careza, which is also holding onto that sexual energy for spiritual reasons. Yes. And I think it's really interesting there's actually science behind it. There that. is. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> there is
2: lots of science behind that. It relates directly to creativity, to cognitive function, to um, general like awakeness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really fascinating, and I highly suggest any um, male identifying people, um, any male body part owners out there, do the research themselves, read up on this, and enjoy and enjoy the fruits of
1: that. Do like women have the same thing? Should I be? Withholding them myself,
2: <laughs> you know, I don't think <laughs> that there's been any research in that, and that's yes. just because typically research is for yeah. like it's done on usually male students, medical mm-hmm. students. Plus,
1: they don't really do research usually on uh, internal anatomy owners, mm-hmm. women type people until no. it has like a direct reason. Like I don't know, I'm sure you know this, but I don't know if our listeners Do like they didn't really do any research on mature women's hormone levels until the um. The little blue pill Mm. took off, and suddenly all these like older gentlemen were like, "I want to bang," and my wife's not interested. They were like, "Don't worry, we'll do some research on that."
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's I know it's very frustrating. Um, it is changing, which is nice to know. There is more and more research happening as Mm -hmm. more and more female researchers and practitioners are there and thinking of, of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: so that is really nice to, to know that, we, that we're at the end of this very tiring, boring road. Yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting too, what Tosk is saying about, um, How sometimes, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but how sometimes science leads the way on beliefs that have been held in a spiritual or kink community for a long time. And then other times it's the other way around. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So in lieu of actual scientific research, vulva owners, let's just try and keep figuring it out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that's the
2: best thing for anybody to do, mm-hmm. um, no matter their body, because it's just we're all so different too. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what works for one of us will not work for the other, mm-hmm. and that goes with diet as well. Like how I would treat somebody through food and supplements, um, you know, to get their hormones back on track would be one way for one person and one way mm-hmm. for another person, depending on your how your metabolic state and, mm. you know, your genetics and like all of these things. So just play. Like that's mm. the best thing you can do. So what are some foods
0: that one might be able to integrate into their uh, diet that
2: tend to increase uh, the libido? Yeah. There are many. Um,
1: are aphrodisiacs real? Yes. Please discuss. <laughs> yes. yes.
2: <laughs> so again, this really depends on the individual as far as what they like because I think there are foods that like like on a chemistry level do actually increase hormones that increase your libido. But if you don't enjoy the food, mm. then it is going to be very difficult to have that energetic reaction.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I'm just going to reiterate that what works for one person may not work for somebody else for that very reason. Mm. But foods that typically um, support libido or increase sex drive um, are some of those like like old foods that we hear about that. Everybody says like, you know, chocolate, for Valentine's Day, it's so sexy and whatever. And it's true. Like that exists mm-hmm. for a reason. The antioxidants in chocolate are really, really high. So they support blood flow in the body. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of magnesium in chocolate. And that is really important for like hundreds and hundreds of different functions in the body. So, you know, those, those foods that kind of get passed off as sort of like aphrodisiac foods, like – that information and those, like, labels exist for a reason. Same with oysters. Oysters are really high in zinc. Zinc for the dink is a thing. Oh, my goodness. Oh my <laughs> wow, I can't wait to get oh. oysters next zinc. time and pull that out. Right. Zinc is so important yeah, for sexual I find health. I
1: anecdotally evidence on my own body, like, raw shellfish and raw seafood every time. That's because of the zinc. There you go.
2: Yeah, it's also because of the B vitamins and the mm. iron in certain – Certain sea um, shellfish, rather. But the zinc is so important, especially for male sexual health, but definitely for female health as well. Um, if you have any teenage children out there, or maybe if you are a teenage male, then you would definitely want to be supplementing with zinc mm. because the more you ejaculate, the more zinc you lose. Mm. So um, we often see a lot of imbalances in teenage males. They're really hormonal. Obviously, they're going through puberty, but they're mm. masturbating multiple times a day, you're jerking and all your zinc out, guys. <laughs> you are jerking your zinc out.
1: <laughs> also, a uh, pro tip on zinc supplementation: don't take too much. You will feel like you're dying. Yes, have horrible diarrhea. Whoa. You can
2: um, definitely get zinc toxicity. Oh, so it is always best to get your zinc from. Food, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I definitely recommend foods that uh, are like oysters. Mm-hmm. Um, grass-fed beef is mm-hmm. really high in zinc. Nuts, seeds, um, avocados have mm-hmm. zinc in them. Mm-hmm. So you know, make sure that it exists in your diet. Mm-hmm. If you really truly are deficient and you've had like blood work to support that, then you can supplement zinc, but. If you're taking like a general multivitamin, there's enough zinc in there to um keep mm. you even Steven in that department. But um yeah, so those are a couple of foods, also watermelon. Oh, I never
1: thought. Yes. Yeah, watermelon
2: okay. is a, an incredible libido booster. So much that they're actually um using concentrated uh the concentrated nutrients like it's L um L-citrulline, and um, they're using that to uh, manufacture, like, natural Viagra.
0: Whoa. That is so awesome. I love watermelon. It is
2: delicious. I'm going to go to the grocery store, like, right (laughs) after this episode. And also, like, dark chocolate (laughs) and watermelon. You could dip your watermelon in melted chocolate. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Um, Mm. But isn't watermelon also just such a central central food in general? Like, Mm -hmm. I – remember being a child and feeling that way for the first time when I was, like, in the backyard in the summer, like, eating watermelon Mm. and having, like, watermelon Mm. juice, like, run down my face. Like, I didn't even know what sex was, but there was something about that experience that I'll never forget that I just felt like, ooh, you know? Like, what is that? Like, it feels good to have, like, all of this juice all over my skin Mm -hmm. and the sun is warm and, like, sometimes it's not even, like, it is about the… chemical makeup of that food, Mm. like the nutrients that exist there and they actually physically do something in our body, but also it's the experience of food. Mm. So for me, also something that really works is um, very primal foods for me are a huge way of boosting my libido, especially instantly. So things like bone marrow or fish roe, like salmon eggs, Mm. um, meat off the bone. Um, If you feed me those things, like I'm ready. (laughs) And those are baby-making foods too. Like those are all foods that are really high in fat. So um, fat is essential for all hormone production. Our hormones are made from from fat. Um, So it is essential to have balanced hormones to include healthy fats in your diet. Um, Not only that, but the healthy fats support your brain so that you are in a happier state. It is much easier to be sexually active and enjoying that when you are feeling good about yourself Mm -hmm. and those around you. And also it's really important for um, like the suppleness of the actual tissue. So our sex Mm -hmm. organs require lubrication to, um, you know, feel good. And so foods that are high in fat, also Mm. support that as well.
1: Yeah, I certainly feel like a grumpy little dummy when I don't have enough fat in my diet. Me too. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about good fats? Because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of misconception around what are good fats. And Mm -hmm. to my understanding, like there was a whole horrible debacle where the sugar organization like paid for this shitty fake research. So there's a lot of misinformation about fats. I'd love Mm -hmm. our listeners to have the correct.
2: There is. And it's... um. It's still really problematic. The the shift in thinking from that low-fat fad of, you know, well, it wasn't even like a fad. It existed for so long that, unfortunately, the health of um, of multiple generations is still affected by that. Mm. And you're right. That was in part funded by really wrong um, research, Uh, but it was also just... um, in response to where we were at in science at the time, mm-hmm. so there is a lot of there are a lot of people that do say that that was like a big conspiracy by the sugar industry, and and there is probably some truth to that, but it also just simply was um, misinformation, not coming from a bad place. But we're learning, like mm-hmm. we're learning every, and especially as, as like when it comes to the human body and nutrition specifically. Like we're at this point in time now, we know more than we have ever known about anything and there's still more to (laughs) know than we have even – like we're Mm. scratching the surface. Um, But one thing we have established for sure and it's just taking some time to really undo the brainwashing and and bring it back to um, a place of knowing for people is that fat is absolutely essential in the human diet. Mm. Low fat is – a garbage belief system. It is not accurate, and it needs to be I thrown never the fuck hear out. Hear Kate
1: talk in like absolutes <laughs> that really call me up. God is a garbage system.
2: <laughs> it is. So I've just seen so much destruction of human health mm-hmm. because of low fat. Like, if you just simply think about the functioning of the human body and like what we are made up of, like what is your brain? Your brain is li- literally made of fat. Mm. How can we survive? How can our brain thrive if we're not introducing essential mm. essential fatty acids? That is called that because mm. we cannot make them in our body on our own. We need them to come from an exogenous source. Mm. So we see this epidemic of mental health. Well, isn't that ironic that we have been in a multiple decades Multiple, multiple, multiple decades of no-fat diets. Mm. ADHD, Mm. ADD, autism, all of these cognitive conditions that we're seeing an uprising in, all are, like, focused on the brain. We have not been feeding our brains. Mm. Like, and Mm. it gives me goosebumps to think about it because I just feel like it's such a disservice to humans. Like, it's such a sad, heartbreaking thing that... Even as a child, like, as soon as you hit the age of, you know, two, you go on, like, low-fat milk.
0: Oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. Why?
2: Like, why? Why? Why not, like… Feed them like sardine oil and like, mackerel and egg yolks and bone marrow and like. It's all also these- weird
1: that they're like, stop giving you that human milk. Let's give you yeah. this low-fat non-human milk. Yeah, and judge you <laughs> if you want to keep doing it. I something. know. So, what are some of the healthy fats that we should be aiming
2: to include? So, omega threes would okay. be like the best thing to focus on. Um, omega sixes we get in our diet pretty easily, and so um, although there was that sort of like. Um, omega-3s and 6s. You don't have to think about it in that kind of marriage. Omega-6s will get in adequately on our own. Um, But omega-3s are where often we fall short. Um, So omega-3s would be found in fatty fish. So salmon, salmon eggs, um, mackerel, sardines, cod... Um, any, any fatty fish that you can find, mm. obviously like wild caught fish is mm. always going to be your best option, but it's not possible, um, and affordable for everyone. So as long as you can get some version of that in, into your diet, cod liver oil, like mm. if you want to do it in a supplementary sort of way, if you're not a big fish eater, you can get a cod liver supplement oil and just take, you know, like a tablespoon or two of that a day. That is just like the biggest gift you can give your brain.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I feel like a light switch when I do and don't have cod liver. I eat cod liver straight up because I think getting it is as whole as possible is the best way for your body to really utilize it. Um, also, omega-3s in certain nuts and seeds. Like walnuts are a good source. Um, uh, avocado is a good source. Avocado oil. Those sorts of foods, um, and then other other healthy fats that nest, aren't necessarily omega three rich, but do still contain some, and also have other um, beneficial elements of fat, would be, um, you know, other nuts and seeds, um, olives, olive oil, mm. flax mm. oil, um,
1: fatty meats, egg yolks. Flax oil controversial or no? Because yeah. I've heard it's like a estrog- estrogen mimicking. Is that true? Uh, well, actually, um, it's
2: okay. So you can use flax um, to help to really help um, rein in uh, naughty hormones that you want to sort of balance knotty a little hormones. more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would rather do that with a whole flax seed versus mm. a flax oil. Um, mm. Basically, with things as delicate and sensitive as a seed, like a chia seed or a flax seed or a sesame seed. Their oils go rancid really, really quickly, mm-hmm. and rancid oils of any kind in the human body are very inflammatory and very destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important that if you do choose to have flax oil, that you're only having the most fresh, fresh, fresh flax oil. Buy it in very small bottles. Keep it in the fridge in a dark place, in a dark bottle, and consume it kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. Um Same goes for if you're having those same seeds, if you are grinding them. So a lot of people buy like ground flax to make their flax muffins and they feel like they're really doing something Mm -hmm. beneficial. Uh, And in actuality, it's probably the reverse, Mm. Um, ground nuts and seeds expire really, really quickly. The oils in them are very delicate and, um, those wreak havoc on our, on our bodies. So mm-hmm. whole seeds, if you want to grind them, grind them quickly. But back to your question about whether they are estrogen mimicking, mm-hmm. um, they can be, but that can be used to your advantage. So okay. seed cycling is something that I, I really love. did that love. for
1: like one month and Did you I had like the best cycle and then I was yes. like, maybe it was a fluke. So I tried not doing it and it wasn't as good. So I'm going to go back on.
2: Yeah. I, I've done that with, um, multitudes of clients at this point and they all love it. And it's so easy. It's literally just a couple tablespoons of alternating types of seeds at specific points in your cycle. So you're mm. supporting your luteal phase at one point with certain seeds and then blah blah blah. So there's a whole protocol around that. And um anyone who's out there that's interested is more than welcome to um get in touch with me and I can send some information on that. But um that's a beautiful way to support a, a cycle in like a Reproductive body, and it's also a beautiful way to ease menopause. Mm-hmm. So making that transition for a, a female body uh, a little more gentle and a bit easier to get through.
1: Mm. Wow.
2: Wow, this is also like delicious and juicy, and I
0: can't wait to integrate all these into my, my diet. Um, we are kind of towards the end of this episode and We have been asking this question to pretty much all of our uh, guests recently, and that is, um, what is one thing you would tell your younger self, like a
2: little piece of advice about sex? I would tell my younger self to only have sex if I really truly want to. I think that um, growing up, I would say yes, more often because I felt I had to um, because I felt like it was the right thing to do for the guy so that he would like me or so that because I thought I would like it or that I had to like it um, and I think that that's such nonsense and I, I I am mortified at the idea that like young women or young men doesn't matter are out there feeling like they have to give this very sacred piece of themselves away whenever it's sort of asked of them. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wish that I could go back in time and empower myself to say like, I actually am not attracted to you Mm -hmm. and this actually feels really gross and I don't want to give my body to you. And I think that if people were told that young in their life, like it would just make things so much easier Mm -hmm. so yeah that's what i would say
1: it's beautiful so beautiful thank you so much for coming on and joining us it's such an amazing conversation I want to like I wish we could do like a four hour podcast I'd love, I would, like, to, love to have you back <laughs> yes I would love that I will come back anytime yeah, maybe next time she's in LA like we can do like a user submitted question like Ooh, what are your yes. like hormone and health questions and I we would, can we can ask you then. I
0: love a q and I yes. love a good <laughs> Q&A <laughs> they are they we are could good even times. do an
1: Instagram live or
2: something. Ooh, yeah, we'll yeah, definitely. yeah absolutely like but thank you
1: so much for coming on I know this <laughs> is going to be really
2: informative for our listeners thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure.
0: Yay. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com, and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon, and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our sex magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters. Sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to Meredith Andrews. Thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks, y'all, for supporting. It means a lot. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you and we want to continue offering these amazing podcast episodes and we're so grateful to do that and have your support.